Yeah, here. We're fine. Hey, 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 everybody. It's time to get in the garage. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jeff May. I got my co-hosts here, Mike Thresher, Luke Roberge. What's up? We're talking Motown today. Motown. Dancing in the street in Motor City. Um, This is our third installment in our Black History Month series. And Motown is like the giant in Black American music. Uh, a notable thing about Motown, the most profitable, successful Black-owned business in America for decades, like the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I believe, up until a lot of the artists, you know, Motown wasn't really the thing in the 90s, except for Boys to Men and a couple other things. But yeah, Motown, huge, huge in American music, huge in Black music, huge in pop culture. I mean, we are going to be talking about singles that we love, but... There are hundreds of Motown songs that we all love, so it's going to be a cutthroat coming up with some some uh, ones that we really enjoy in particular. Some brief history about Motown itself. It was founded by Barry Gordy III, also known professionally as Barry Gordy Jr., also known as Barry Gordy. He's still alive, kicking at 91. He was a songwriter with his sister Gwen Gordy and Billy Davis. They had a big hit for Jackie Wilson in 1958 called Lonely Teardrops. It's been featuring a bunch of movies. Lonely Teardrops. It has like a rumba beat and stuff. Uh, The year after that, he founded Tamla Records in 1959. He wanted to call it Tammy Records after a hit song by Debbie Reynolds from a movie of the same name that she starred in. But Tammy Records was already taken, so he went with Tamla Records. The next year, incorporated as Motown Record Corporation in 1960 in April. So just like Stax, where it had Stax and Volt, two different record labels that were really one in the same, Motown and Tamla, one in the same, especially like the Stevie Wonder albums, those were released under the Tamla subsidiary. So a lot of you may have seen that name before, and now you know Tamla is Motown, Motown is Tamla. Uh, Hitsville, USA was their headquarters in Detroit, Michigan, It was the site of a former photographer's studio, a very famous building, white with the light blue roof, located at 2648 West Grand Boulevard in Detroit. Some early history things in Motown, very important to the brand, to the business. In 1957, two years before setting up Tamla and then Motown, Barry Gordy met 17-year-old singer, songwriter, producer, Smokey Robinson, who went on to become the frontman of one of the most successful Motown groups, The Miracles. And The Miracles, notable for having the first million seller on Motown, the song Shop Around. So that's some background about the early history. We're going to get into more of the history, talk about more of the things as far as Motown, the musicians, the songwriting style, the partnerships, the whole shebang. When we get into our picks, well, let's hit it off with, uh, we're going to do four or five selections each. Luke, what's your favorite Motown song? My favorite Motown song of all time is, I'm probably going to say, 
please Mr. Postman? Because I think it's the first Early. one that yeah. it's the first one that like it was the Beatles thing for me. Yeah. Like most of the ones I picked on here are like ones that I learned from other um other bands and like how I discovered Motown really. Um so the Beatles do a cover of Please Mr. Postman that John Lennon sings and I always loved it. And then on the radio one day, you know, I heard hear the original and I'm like, what? is this this is i you know and then really sparked my interest in like the girl group era i remember like getting obsessed and going to um i found a, a rolling stone compilation at target that was all girl groups um and this i was like probably like you know right at my tail end of high school and i became obsessed and this song was really like a a hitter for me and I feel like it really like um is everything great about the girl group era and I feel like Motown really mastered it. Um I love the vocal. Um I I just really love like the the wait a minute wait a minute kind of things. Um and for me this is like a great Motown thing too because it the song is like it was covered by the Beatles. That's why I feel like it's not that it gave it like but it it was like it's on that great songwriting level, and it's so, so crisp for me. I just really, really love it. Great um, choice. I mean that that song, the Marvelettes version, the original, was the first Billboard Hot 100 song from Motown. So like, there's really three three songs that set up Motown as a brand. You had "Money" by Barrett Strong, which was their first charting hit. I think it hit like 18 or something on the charts. And then I think the following year, you had Shop Around by The Miracles, which was the first number one on the R&B charts, first million seller. But then the Marvelettes, Dear Mr. Postman, number one, Billboard Hot 100. Girl and, group, it like kicked off the girl group phase in America. Right. And that's why I, I really love it. And to, to say, too, we're talking like Black History Month, um, the record industry at the time had a kind of a policy that you didn't put uh, black people on the cover of records. Mm. And this is one of the most famous examples of it um, because none of them are on the cover. So you never really got to know their person, like who they were, like the Supremes got to do a couple of years later. Um, and the cover of this is just like a post, like a mailbox. And it's kind of like plain looking. Mm. Um, and so that's like kind of sad that that kind of had to happen but to the furtherment of everything else that was a black group from motown on a black owned label on the number one pop that's like that's the significance yeah, of this song um and i mean for being like that first girl group kickoff this is like i don't know if it really got it, it hit other great high points but for me this is like it's amazing it's like the 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 watermark for it or the benchmark not the watermark and and early Motown too, like people think there's kind of like three phases of Motown music. That early phase, the Please Mr. Postman, first like until like 1962, 63 time was Motown music was like very much like classic rock and roll in like a doo-wop sense in a way of like, like you said, it's a black group. They weren't allowed to put black faces on the record, but it, it sounds like that white crossover music because it sounds like all that doo-wop, you know, like, what do they call that shit? Like the malt, malt shops <laughs> kind of music? Yeah, like you a know, barber, like, barbershop kind right, of Right, right. Um, it's got like the call and response to it too mm -hmm. from like the 50s barbershop thing. Yeah. Um, and, like another like 
yeah uh, another thing that like kind of goes with this song too is like the i like how like um like lennon like is these girls are like really rocking you know what i mean like that's the other thing of it too and like it crosses every great it's just like every great line crossover because it can be a beatles song but it's also a girl group that's like rocking just as hard which i really like the vocal on it is like the wait a minutes at the end they get like strained um and i liked hearing you know i like that and it's also uh was another point is this is like the a northern soul mm. what they would call like a northern soul classic um which is like kind of picked up from like england who were getting a lot of these records and that's you know another connection to it so i'd say this is definitely like a great kickoff of like the northern soul mod vibe that was going on in uh like the dance halls in england in london good choice man i knew yeah. you would go with an old old one i knew it I got mostly got oldie old moldies. Soul. <laughs> I got oldie moldies on here for days. <laughs> Mike, what's your favorite Motown song? Um, that's a tough one, man. I don't know. I mean, or one of your favorites, I yeah. should say. Also, I would like to to preface this by saying that uh, we agreed not to do any Stevie Wonder for this episode. Oh yes, we will be featuring Stevie Wonder as the focus of our final episode of Black History Month. I think all our favorite Motown songs would be like Stevie Wonder songs. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. Um, but for me, I'm going to have to join my man, Luke, 1962 off of their album, Playboy. Uh, I'm going to go with the Marvelettes with Beachwood five, five, seven, eight, nine. Um, I really, I really dig this song, man. It's so playful, you know, Beachwood five, five, seven, eight, nine. you know, like you can call me anytime, like, and all that is like, it's just, it's so playful and it's like, it's, it's, it's fun to hear. Like, Luke, you were saying, man, like how you were saying sort of like the introduction of kind of like the female driven singing group. You know, most of the time it's men singing about like, hey, girl, I love you. La, 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 la. You know? Yeah. And like, I a, love that. Yeah. To have that power kind of shift thing where it's a woman kind of like, hey, boy, kind of thing, you know, like, I just think that's really fun, you know? And uh, the, I mean, the song itself, so Beachwood 55789, that's the whole reason why it's called that is it's a telephone exchange name. So like back then you would, is so Beachwood. So it would be B E five, five, seven, eight, nine. So two, three actually. So if you're going to have the, the actual number of itself, you know, like, um, but I just love, I, I think it's like, I just love it. Cause it's like, it's just such a, like the, even the vocal delivery, it's super simple. It's nothing flashy. It's nothing crazy, but it's just such a playful tune, you know? And I love the, I mean, we're, we'll get, as we get deeper, you know, we'll get into like the Motown sound, but you know, Motown, they, you, they were heavy on the usage of like echo chambers and tape echo. And they had a, an EMT 140 plate reverb, which is like this quarter ton giant thing that has this uh, sh- sheet metal in the middle of it. So it like, it takes the sound and it gives this crazy like a uh, reverb effect and stuff. And especially with the earlier stuff, I find that that's where you really because if you listen to a song, if you listen to a Motown song like this song, for example, 1962, and then you flash forward to like a, um, um, you know, like say like a Temptations tune that was when they were they were like kind of getting into like the psychedelic soul kind of vibe. You can you know there's a pretty big difference there. You know what I mean? Even in terms um, of like production quality and the and like you know. 
just that echoey kind of feel that you get with the early stuff that I really, really like. Absolutely. No, I, I dig what you're saying too with like the, the, the girl vibe because like that's like what I was really trying to say. You said it more eloquently. It's like you really get the point of view of like a, like a what, you know, kind of like a woman that age and something else they're like about boys and stuff. But like that's kind of what, you know what I mean? And just to hear that point of view was, is like refreshing. Mm. Um, even like and for that time, I love, that's why I really love that girl group era as well. And on top of that, like you're getting like all those great, like, do woppy things up north because that was happening in like New York City and then mixing up there like that really the barbershop quartet really wasn't happening like down south as much so yeah that's why I think you get that more interesting like vocal take on like the harmonies and the call back and forth and response yeah. and um also on that track a very young Marvin Gaye on drums yeah oh really yeah that's Marvin Gaye playing drums yeah that's a mate that's great yeah yeah so interesting but yeah kind of like how we talked about on the stacks thing about isaac hayes role in stacks records he started out as a session keyboard player and then moved up through the roster into becoming a solo star marvin gay same kind of thing he's like a dude who was at motown for i don't know 15 16 years and the first like three or four was just as a session drummer and then as a songwriter as well yeah. Like he wrote uh he wrote Dancing in the Street for Martha Reeve and the Vandellas. Oh, amazing. And then he like he didn't actually put out his own stuff until like later that year. Yeah. I thought Mick I thought Mick Jagger and David Bowie wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Van Halen wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah, so there's my pick. Jeff, what's uh what's your what's your um, favorite Motown sound? Yeah, song, wow that song. going back to Beachwood, I know that song, but like I've heard it, I should say, but I don't know that song, know that song, because that's like a deep cut, but good choice. Uh, mine is a song, the first version of which was the biggest Motown song at the time, released in 1967 by Glass Knight and the Pips. This version, that's my favorite Motown song, released 1968, and it was recorded and then sat on for a year and a half because Barry Gordy thought it was like too funky and too dark and too in a way like too black he thought he was afraid it wasn't gonna be a crossover hit and that is heard it through the grapevine by marvin gay which is features the very beginning is a riff played on the Wurlitzer electric piano which is like either my favorite instrument or a top five favorite instrument and sound of mine of any instrument and it's just grimy and dirty and funky and grooving and it's it's just driving and it's you know, it's uh, it's undeniable. I, and that song's been covered by a number of people, but the Marvin Gaye version is just still just so great. Uh, it's him on lead vocals. It's a backing female group called the Andantes uh, doing the call and responses. And it the the song was arranged by the trombone player, member of the Motown house band, the Funk Brothers, Paul Reiser. And uh, it's just their string elements. It's... It's everything I want from Motaz. A little bit of strings, a little bit of electric piano, driving, constant beat, some tambourine, some shout, call response, some falsetto, some aching, pleading words. Uh, this song written by one of the great songwriting teams at Motown, which was Barrett Strong, the guy who had the first big Motown hit with the song Money, That's What I Want. Barrett Strong was the lyricist, and Norman Whitfield was the composer and producer. Norman Whitfield was like Whitfield and Strong were the mind behind that psychedelic soul era of Motown. 
So basically 1967 till 1972, that whole era of Motown was dominated by the Whitfield strong arrangements and uh, yeah, the songwriting. So it's just, it's a sick song, man. Like I still, every time I put that on, I still am like, God damn, this song like just never quits. Yeah. It's, it's super good. And I didn't, I didn't even know that, that this like version existed, (laughs) I guess. Like, I, I mean, I, I heard it, but it's like, Oh wait, this is oh yeah, this is the, the this is the fucking this is the Marv you know oh because oh, you know the, the CCR one. Well, I know, <laughs> yeah, that... but I but I also know the Marvin Gaye one too. But yeah, yeah that's CCR... that's what I that's what I mean. The Marvin yeah. Gaye one is the one I like. The Gladys Knight and the Pips one is like a little swingier. That's that was a yeah. big hit. That's not the one I like. I like the Marvin Gaye one. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I got you. Which replaced you know like the Gladys Knight version number two on the Hot 100 biggest Motown hit. And then, like, a year later, the uh, Marvin Gaye version went to number one, and then it was Motown's biggest hit. See, Both my, version's good, but Marvin Gaye. See, I, ooh, I respectfully disagree. Or I should say, at least my taste, because I had that same song, but I had the Gladys Knight and the Pips version. Okay, yeah. Um, what I loved ooh. about that, what I loved about it was it really reminded me of, like, you know that Aretha Live at the Fillmore concert where she does Eleanor Rigby, and she just pounds it down? Right. And, like, because it's me, faster. It's notably faster. Right. So when I heard this, I didn't know what... When I initially first heard this, I didn't know which one came first between this one mm. and the Marvin Gaye one. But to me, I heard it... And it's kind of funny how the Gladys Knight is the first version, and then Marvin Gaye comes out, which is kind of like the darker, sort of more like brooding kind of vibe, mm. the more swampy sound. And like the Eleanor Rigby, obviously, the more the moodier, the darker, the... The, the swampier sound one is the Beatles version. And then Aretha just juices it right up. And then come to find out that the whole thing was, um, so the song was originally written for the miracles, which was Smokey Robinson's, uh, the, the group that Smokey Robinson was um, in. And their version was released in 1968. But um, yeah, Norman Whitfield wanted to quote out funk Aretha after he heard the song respect. So he was like trying to get onto that Muscle Shoals vibe, and I think maybe that's why I like it because it's more of that. It has kind of that sort of Aretha thing to it. Um, yeah, the Black like Knight version man, is I mean, cool, but yeah, but Marvin yeah, Mar- Gaye to me. Yeah, you can't really. Yeah, I think it's the the thing that like makes this song like I think it's a real game changer for Motown too because after this, like you get like more chancy. You know what I mean? They're taking like bigger swings at stuff. Um, you like you said like. The song is like so swampy, like dum 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 dum. But yeah. then when it gets to the middle, like you get Mar, it's so swampy. You got Marvin Gaye's like like uh like kind of like rasp. It's not rasp. It is raspy, but it's not kind of over the top of it. Um, just sung like a, you know really aggressively and hard hitting. But those strings, like they're not super. They're syrupy, but they're not. Uh, they're just like cla- like on top of it, and they're just like executing dun, dun, like yeah, yeah. They're like punctuating mm. like the lines that like are being sung and played, and it's like hitting on these like on and offs. And um, I feel like the production on the song is a major game change in like the way Motown went on after this. Um, like it's one of the best Motown songs, and to like the point of like it being like a Motown song that was like swampy and bass heavy is what I really like love about it too. I feel like Marvin Gaye was a really, um, he could take something and see it like nobody else would see it. 
kind of thing. Like he was, he got a special eye for stuff. Mm. You want to hear a good video too? Go on YouTube, look up the, just the uh, isolated vocal track of Marvin Gaye singing her through the grapevine. And that's like a masterclass on like, Oh wow. Like kind of like a one take with some overdubs and it just knocks it out of the park. I, absolutely. I think his like his vote, like his vocal style at like was just I think it was really influential because he could like really sing his ass off, but he could also get like aggressive and raspy and like kind of like sink down. And it's just what I, I, I think it was just like uh, I feel like more people after that, like wanted Marvin Gaye's voice. He was just like, I want that's Marvin what, Gaye's voice. I think, yeah, that's what I'm, you know what I'm saying? But, like, you had all these, like, all these bands, like, try, you know what I mean? Like, CCR's whole style is, like, kind of that way of, you know, singing, but it's not well, at, like, not even close, yeah. you know? Because he also could, like, smooth it out, like, Silk, and it's, oh, what a classic song. Great pick. Yeah. Great pick. What's your, uh, what's your next one, Luke? All right. Um, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to keep with kind of, like, a, a vibe here of, how i heard of like these songs from other bands um so the song is i gotta dance to keep from crying by Smokey robinson and the miracles um i really really love this song and i first heard the song um from the who because when they were a band before they were like signed there's uh like a video that exists of them playing the song um because they were really into Northern Soul. And for me, this is like a Northern Soul classic. It's got like a drum break in the beginning that kind of sounds like, um, um, now, uh, don't do it. You know, baby, don't you? It's got like the um, so it's got like a drum break right in the beginning. So you know it's going to be like a hot dance track. Um, it feels like a party. And I just love like the vocal is just, um, you know, I got to dance just to keep from crying um and that's like basically like the you know he's dancing his blues away and like he's just like come everybody dance with me i like how it's like a party song um it's got like a live feel like um kind of like the beach boys party album but like not like that it's got like people yelling in the background um so like you know it's not live but like it's it's got that great feel to it and i think that was like a um innovation kind of at the time to like do something like that on the record um and i really fell in love with the song because the who hit it so hard and like put like a rock backbeat in it that is keith moon playing it um and then i listened to this version and i just love this version because it's groovy and silky um and it's like a really danceable track like you could still really dance to it today and i you know i just really love it also like Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Also, this is a 1963 song, so uh, early in the the Motown, um, you know, canon. It did hit 20 on the R&B chart, so not a huge hit, but one that um, obviously impacted a band I really like, The Who. And I feel like the song is like worth all its salt because it's it. If I hear the song, it's I think um, like Northern Soul and dancing and like mod stuff again. But that's why I really like it because um, I love that like Northern Soul thing, and I think this is kind of like a deep cut that's really worth checking out. Yeah, the you, have you guys man. have you guys uh, heard this one or is this one? Like, this yeah. one's a fo- yeah, this one's kind of a foreign one for me. Yeah, I've um, I've heard I it, w- but you know it's it's 
I'll just say it's it's a miracle song. So you know it's going to be good. Like they didn't put out anything that's like, eh, whatever. Hmm. Like every miracle song is this like three minute, just kind of like perfectly constructed thing. Yeah. And this is a, a Dozer Holland song as well. So it's like an early example of that kind of thing, like sneaking in as well to Motown, like one of the, the songwriters. Mm. I'm glad you mentioned Holland, Dozer Holland, because I don't think any of my selections are written by them, but Holland, Dozer Holland was the songwriting team that was the main creative force for the early years of Motown. So they were big, 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 making all their chart hit, chart topping hits, basically, from 1962 to 1967. That's Holland, Dozer Holland, consisted of lyricist and vocal arranger Eddie Holland, Lamont Dozier, who was a composer and producer, and Eddie's younger brother, Brian Holland, who was also another composer and producer. And fun fact, today is Brian Holland's 80th birthday. Oh, oh that's, wow. What's Happy and birthday, Brian. All three guys are still alive and kicking it. And nice. it's one of those things where like, the music industry is not what it is today, how it was back then, because like, those guys were making <clears throat> charting hits when they were 21, 22, 23 years old. And then, like, pretty much stopped writing songs when they were, like, mid-40s. So insane. Insane. And only at Motown for that five years, basically. And then they quit Motown over royalty payment disputes with Barry Gordy. Because they were the cash cow. And Holland Dozier Holland was the songwriting and producing team behind, I think, every single number one hit by the Supremes. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm alongside how about these songs i'm gonna just list them and we might talk about them in detail but here are some songs written by holland dozier holland heat wave can i get a witness where did our love go baby i need your loving baby love come see about me how sweet it is to be loved by you stop in the name of love nowhere to run i can't help myself sugar pie honey bunch this old heart of mine you can't hurry love reach out i'll be there you keep me hanging on, standing in the shadows of Motown. I mean, standing in the shadows of love and Jimmy Mac, which all those songs are big hits and they all have like kind of the same element, which is this like swinging kind of upbeat with it. You can snap, you can shake a tambourine to it. And it's a lot of like kind of follows the same patterns in a lot of those songs, but they're pretty much all upbeat. They, I don't think there's a single ballad out of any of those songs I listed. Those guys are all about pop bubblegum sing songy are people down the street going to be singing it as they walk to work kind of songs mm. and uh huge hit makers holland dozier holland yeah so like on top of that like let's you know also state that that's one of the most like profitable songwriting like um you know groups of all time like you have your lennon mccartney's that's worth a ton you have uh like uh you know jagger richards is worth a ton but like you know mm-hmm. huge hit like not just worth you know whatever but you bob dylan that's definitely in those numbers of like <coughs> one of the biggest catalogs of all time um it's just so many great like how I, it's it blows my mind how many like memorable hook and lyrics are like on these songs that you just i think mentioned. they wrote like 200 charting hits yeah and uh, i like out of like that era the, like the, their songs are pretty much my favorites they are mm. the one and you're like oh yep that's another one and that yep. that style really tends to pop out at me because like they're all super like optimistic kind of or even if mm-hmm. they're sad they're like they're happy sad um right and so i'd like that really like gets to me too because like even when like da- this song we're just talking about dances to keep from crying 
it's like um you know his girl broke up with him and he's sad but like it's still like a positive twist and i think that's like a really um fun and interesting way to write like a sad song and that's why i really i I just really love that uh the songs they produced in the period it's really and at that some of the um you know most influential work you know yeah yeah and 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 the the thing about combining lyrics and messages that are about like betrayal and jealousy and infidelity with these hummable singable hooks is like such an ingenious thing definitely and i mean it was i like it when it's like taken to the extreme of the shangri-las but like that's like just a kind of a mess production and these are like the highest like you know gro- they're groovy and so danceable and i love i love that about them but uh what do you got next nice, man. yeah uh i'm gonna join you uh with the holland dozer holland uh trajectory here with the 1967 hit by the four tops bernadette <laughs> I I totally, I dig this song, man. It's driving. It's hard hitting. They hit you with, like, this really cool, like, false ending at the end. And then Levi Stubbs, the, the like, the lead singer of the four, does this harrowing screaming. You know, he screams Bernadette, you know. And, like, I hear it and stuff. And you think 1967. And then, like, you hear sort of vocally what's happening over the hook, the Bernadette part. And in my mind, I hear those like sort of like echoey, dramatic, reverby like vocals that are that are kind of layered behind the the hook delivery. And I thought immediately like, oh, this is this to me sounds so much like Moody Blues, man, like Nights in White Satin, the <laughs> like that kind of thing. It's just like so it's just cool. It's cool to hear that. Like, I forget there was another song that I was listening to. I want to say it was a Temptation song, but like. I forget, but the vocal delivery, I listen to it. And I'm just like, oh, this is like Michael McDonald from the Doobie Brothers, like totally ripped this style <laughs> yeah. off. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's one of the singers from The Temptations. Um, so, yeah, I just I just really, really like th- this song a lot. Um, uh, we were talking about it earlier before we started recording. I mean, the main reference compilation that I downloaded to listen to was uh, Hitsville, USA. It's from, I think we said, what, 59 to 71, I think. Um, great compilation and just right in that zone for me, like where, you know, I think pretty much every song I can listen to and enjoy completely. So, um, so yeah, man, I mean, I was, I was going to expand on the, uh, the Holland Dozer Holland, um, and like the, you know, the, um, the songs they've written and everything, but I mean, Jeff, you explained it, you know, between you and Luke, I mean, you guys really explained that that perfectly they wouldn't stick around though i think 67 is when they leave and then you have was it the clan comes in they well, what it's they're referred to as the clan it's um the corporation well the corporation that was I one. Came after, yeah the clan was before that that was r dean taylor frank wilson pam sawyer and uh decky decky richards i think is how you pronounce it um but they only stuck around i think for not even like less than a year um but they were they were the they uh they were the for yeah i think from 67 to 68 and then replaced by the corporation and then you know we'll get into the corporation after the fact but um but yeah so the four tops man bernadette it's just it's a burning tune i really really dig it um and yeah that's pick number two for me the four tops is like that's the group that people need to look up because 
people know the temptations people know smoky robinson the miracles the four tops another great four guys singing group and they had like 10 to 20 huge songs mm-hmm. yeah so so there's mine nice. jeffrey <laughs> all right my second my second pick uh is from like two years later it is the first number one hit song i think it's their first single by five little boys called the jacksons the jackson five songs from 1969 it went to number one in january of 1970 i want you back which is just a nasty song from the very first second which is this like run down the piano into the beat with the bass line that is so memorable one of the best bass lines of all time a rhythm guitar part that's this rhythm that works perfectly but if you wrote it out and follow the sheet music you'd be like oh my gosh what a complicated staccato syncopated rhythm uh it's michael jackson i think if this was 1969 he was like 11 years old then and it's just it's a killer man i love this song i there i can't I don't have anything else to say about it. It's just it's just a perfect song. Um, this song in particular, okay, so like Michael Jackson died when we were in high school and obviously like you know, I knew like all the hits, but I really got into like the Jackson five at that point. And this song taught me about like a backbeat in drums. Cause it's so it's mm. like boom it's like adding it in it's got like the it's got a fat like the bass drum on that song is so was like it blew my mind i was like wait he's not putting it there and there it's like it's got like a swing thing under it it, I, it was like the first time i re- like i mean obviously i heard that in like zeppelin stuff but it sounds like such so foreign and then just to hear it kind of like stripped back and like super funky like the indanceable on the drums it like really uh made me discover uh like a new way to a new way to play uh, this uh, like for me and i that was like mind blowing just the the fatness of like how funky that track is and you could like sample it in a hip hop and it'd be you know what i mean it'd be the same kind of thing it's that, kids uh, too man yeah i mean they they had the funk brothers they had the house musicians playing the stuff but these were five kids 18 and younger yeah and go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say like uh, the the Michael Jackson vocal, like when well, you said that like, piano roll, the uh-huh, like just sort of kicks right in. <laughs> um, it also like too. This is like the first like like you had little Stevie Wonder, but like this is like the first like child group kind of thing too, and it's like the mm. biggest song. It's ah, uh, it, this might be. I didn't have this on my list, but this might be like one of my favorite Motown songs as well because, like, it's close to the top for me. It's just, it's so perfect, and uh, I don't. I just, I don't know. It, Dude, I they had they had a variety show and then a cartoon show about them. Yeah, that's how big <laughs> they were. <laughs> like, yeah. Um. Also, too, this album that it was featured on, they like made it. It was uh, Diana Ross presents the Jackson Five. So they were, like, really trying to, like... Because Diana Ross would have been the biggest star on Motown at the time. One of the biggest stars. And to have them, like, presented by her 
this was like a major push for like a young group of like the most talent one of the most talented groups of young men like and you know children so it was kind of like a new kind of idea to like put them like like that and they would dance so well um and it kind of made it i think it made like their their marketing a little bit different and they had like an even younger kind of audience to go after after their artists had like matured like you had like this like diana ross left the supremes at that point so I think this is just like a revolutionary song, and Michael Jack one of Michael Jackson's best. It's one of my favorite Michael Jackson performances ever. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying too earlier, Jeff, that that smoking hot bass line is delivered by a man called Wilton Felder, who was more famously a saxophone player in the Jazz Crusaders. But this guy was dude. This guy was no slouch. I mean, he played with the likes of Donald Byrd and Dizzy Gillespie. Through playing with Marvin Gaye, with Donovan, Jackson Brown, Tina Turner. I mean, the list, I think Randy Newman, B.B. King, you know, and all that. And I, and I believe the majority of those, he is featured on saxophone as that was his main instrument. But then to just find that he was the one who played bass on that, because I thought one, you know, at first it was like, um... I thought that uh, which one of the Jackson brothers played uh, the bass? Tito. Tito. Tito, right. So <laughs> I was like, dude, Tito Jackson's a fucking badass bass He's player, a badass, man. Like, like lip sync bass player. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't know, you know what I mean? Because I never really looked into the Jackson five. So I was yeah. just like, holy shit, you know? And like, and then um, uh, come to find out, it was. Um, it was Felder anyway, and I I was just kind of surprised to hear that too because I was expecting it to be um, either James Jamerson or um, uh, his name's escaping me. Bob Babbitt. Bob Babbitt, thank yeah. you. Um, I thought it was one of them, and then come to find out that it's Wilton Felder, I was like, wait a minute, what? But yeah, man, I mean, a phenomenal to- like, and I mean, you know, you if we're talking Motown, you got to talk about like the bass tones and stuff too. I mean, James Jamerson is like kind of the guy, you know, in terms of like the game changer electric bass player. Uh, I mean, he didn't, he's not on this track, but um, uh, Wilton uh, Felder definitely holding, holding up that um, tradition, that tradition. Yeah. A hundred percent. If you want, if you want to hear the James, the standard, you know? Yeah. If you want to hear the James Jamerson thing, go back to the Marvin Gaye heard through the grapevine. That's Jamerson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but yeah, there's um, there's great yeah. players on this. Fonce Mazel, uh is the piano player who does those famous lines that Kanye West then sampled for the Jay Z song. Uh, what was that called Hova? No, what's H to Izzo? Yeah, Izzo. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, David T. Walker, guitar player on rhythm guitar, and yeah, I it's it's just a perfect song. It's a perfect pop hit. It's a perfect R and B crossover hit. And I think back to like the whole theme of this month, Black History Month, like I think it really says something that not not just under 15 years after the murder of Emmett Till, you have five black boys on national TV and they're the biggest thing in the world. So like a a group that is so uh, maligned and feared and all those things here in America in the 60s and before and beyond unfortunately like 
that it was five black boys from the ages of nine to 18 who were up there and entertaining America and became like the cultural phenomenon that they were for that like five years of the early seventies. It really says something about like how music revolutionizes things. And yeah, are they kick-ass singers and kick-ass dancers? And like, so their special skills are the things that brought them that sure. But that's like the power of the arts. And that shows like America can accept things that they once feared and hated. Absolutely. The power, the power of music too, you know, Mm. it's in, like Michael Jackson would become the biggest star in the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah arguably the great, one of the greatest pop stars ever. Yeah. Uh, this is just like such a, Oh, I saw one. just note like Michael Jackson singing baby at the end. His screams like, <laughs> baby, baby. It's like yeah. one of my favorite recorded vocals of all time. Like, yeah. it's just so like, you're like, how can he sing it? So like believably. And he's so young. That's what was, is so magical on that track. That's another great video too. Check out the isolated vocal track from this one too, because it's kind of just like one take and it's magic, pure magic. Michael Jackson's vocal on that is. So Luke, what are you going to follow that with? All right. I'm going to uh, follow that with a song that is kind of of that era. Um, so I'm going to pick like, a, uh, I think this is from 1971, uh, Diana Ross's version of Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Cool. Uh, I love this song. So this is like the, the post, this is Diana Ross's first solo album. Um, and this was like the big push for her. Um, and before I really start talking about the song, it is a thousand percent an Isaac Hayes ripoff. <laughs> um that's really like what the song is um so it starts with this crazy like it starts with like a ah, that builds for like i probably like 40 seconds and then diana ross like the, uh like talks the verses um of you know ain't no mountain high enough the hip uh earlier by marvin gay and tammy terrell um they did a duo but she's like no matter how far no matter where you are. And it's so syrupy. She's and then, talking from on top of the mountain. Is what it yes. Sounds like. <laughs> yes. That's what this, this song is. I love it because it's so corn, cornball-tastic. Um, and it's so epic at the same time. And it, it builds into the choruses of just like, ah. And then it's got the great break of like, ain't no mountain high enough. Dump, dump. And it's just so epic. It's like Phil Spector and Isaac Hayes, like, Oh, like to the core, like the extremist, and it's really corny, <laughs> but I really, really love it. It's definitely of its era. Um, and I think I, I just really like the song because it doesn't sound like a lot of Motown songs, and they push Diana Ross as a solo artist so heavy at this point. Like, this was her bit, like her great grand debut, and it's just such like a weird song. And um, it also goes with my obsession of, uh, of talked verse songs where there's talking in the verse and the choruses are, are sung. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's my pick. I just love the epicness of it. It's a great song written by the songwriting team Ashford and Simpson, who went on to be artists in their own right, but they did a lot of songwriting for Motown, especially that, those duets type of songs. Um, you would, I think they performed at Live Aid, so you would recognize them. He was the dude wearing like a white at the time you know like the white suit with no shirt underneath type of look um 
But yeah, I mean, it's a great song, and I love the Diana Ross version. It's so different than the Tammy Terrell, Marvin Gaye one. But yeah, but it's great because it's it's like kind of like a musical theater piece. Yes, mm-hmm. it's it's so it's almost like it would yeah like it was like in a stage show or something of like I don't know like a play. It yeah. could be. It's so it's so dramatic. Um, but I also like it too because like um, as much as it is corny, it feels really sentimental and like sweet. And um, that's, like, another thing I like about it, too, is, like, I don't know. I just, like, sometimes I really like, like, a you know, something that is, I don't know. It's, like, it could almost be, like, a gospel song at the same time. Like, even, like, the Terrell Marvin Gaye version. Like, if you, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no mountain high enough that's going to keep me from getting to, to that. And that's, like, another thing I take from the song. And, like, the Diana Ross version just hits a, kind of more of that flavor. Mm. Um and even though it's got like, it can have like syrupy, romantic kind of vibes to it. I, I kind of look at it as like another kind of thing and, and kind of try to take it from there. Also, how I know this is a Isaac Hayes ripoff. She talks about the songwriter in the song while she's talking. Like the songwriter who wrote this song. And it that's exactly what Isaac Hayes does in By the Time I Get to Phoenix. So there's also that, which is also why I kind of like it. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely got I got the uh by the time I get to Phoenix vibes for sure when I heard that intro. I was like, Oh yeah, this is and definitely she, yeah. I, she has that voice <laughs> that definitely... Michael Jackson then imitated his entire life. She talks like this the entire time. <laughs> yes, yes. Like Michael yes. Jackson was in love with Diana Ross and she was Motown's biggest female star. Uh I mean, probably Motown's biggest star alongside Marvin Gaye. And uh yeah, it's, it's, yeah, she's the best, man. <laughs> uh, and that, that album cover is one of my favorite album covers of all time. I've, like, grown to, like, really, really love it. It's, like, her, like, I think she's, like, a white t-shirt. It's not the one you're thinking of, but she's, like, just kind of sitting, and it's really dark and, like, kind of foreboding, but, like, she looks very sweet, and yeah. I just really like it. And her hair's not, no. like, super done or anything. I yeah. like it. It's a great, great cover. Yeah. Nice, man. And a great push into Motown's mm. album, period. So True. another another uh, staple there. Uh, to keep it going with staples, I'm going to go to 1968. Another hit from Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong. And also, much to the chagrin, a very, a very say, hesitant and, um, you know, pushbacking kind of Norman Whitfield psychedelic soul experiment was the temptations with cloud nine Ooh. at the time 1968 you're talking dance of the music and life two big sly and the family stone songs uh sly and the family stone is starting to become kind of the hip thing you know it's 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 sort of like you know you i mean not that motown was necessarily like that because you know you had vocal groups in motown and stuff too but you're getting this 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 new kind of thing happening where it's these they're bands the it's like instead of having a lead singer with backing vocalists and the backing band now it's every like the band is the one unified thing rather than the front man and the these kinds of things happening um and also with the temptations too this is at the point where dennis edwards is replaced by david ruffin and dennis edwards at the time is Oh, that's replaced David. Ruffin. Yep. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I worded that wrong. But, yeah. So, David Ruffin then was – hold on one second. Um, I think in, in in the clutches of a pretty gnarly cocaine habit. Is there any other type? Um, and, <laughs> and, yeah. It's a hell of a drug, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so – and, like, also was, like, taking separate limousines than the rest of the Temptations at the time. And from what I read was this guy actually had a mink lined limo that he would take to everything and not spend any time with the temptations and was like, nah, fuck you guys. Kind of thing. <laughs> so anyway, he, he, he a, gets a man that. who died penniless. So, <laughs> Let's just say, you know, for reasons. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, man, uh, it, it's this song. I just thought not only is it, a bitch in tune, but it's also very much transitional. This is where we're getting into the psychedelic soul Motown. This is the first Grammy award a Motown song would win is with this song. And it also features uh, Mongo Santa Maria, who on congas, who also played with Tito Puente, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, Ray Charles. Like, so it's given you that sort of like driving kind of, uh, you know, conga thing that, you'd kind of get with, you know, sort of like the shaft vibe or like the, you know, like the what, you know, like all that kind of stuff that you would get in the seventies with this like funky kind of thing. You know, you're starting to kind of hear those early rumblings of that in this song. Um, I love it, the introspective lyrics on it too, kind of. Right. Yeah. It's, so the whole for, idea for is, is like, uh, it was completely different. Right, and especially for the Temptations, too, because, like, it's not about heartbreak. It's not about, like, a girl you love or anything like that. It's, like, about, like, living in poverty and, you know what I mean, and all that stuff. So it's, yeah, lyric content, like you were saying, Luke, much heavier of a lyrical content. Not to say that relationship things can't be heavy, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like, this is this is very much, like, life struggle sort of uh, things. There's, there's you know, uh, people people talk about the idea of Cloud Nine. What does it mean? Uh, you know, like a per, like the, the the character of the song is on Cloud Nine in the sense of like it's a drug song. The Temptations claim it's not a drug song. Barry Gordy's convinced that it is a drug song. So nobody, you know, like nobody really knows. But I think, uh, have you guys listened to the uh, the Bob Marley and the Whalers version no. of the song? It's like no, I haven't either. No, I saw you, that, he, you that he did it. You but... definitely have. Do you know that? Have I? Yeah, I wrote it in the Wikipedia page. By the way, if you saw it, um, <laughs> did uh, you really? Yeah, I did. It wasn't on there. Um, yeah, Bob Marley's version goes. Um, it goes like uh, uh, Cloud Nine. You could be what you want to be. Cloud Nine. You know that it's that kind of vibe, and it, so they took it spiritually. Um, that's that song, Mike. I kept playing for you. That summer that was like Divi Divi Do Ya Hey. Walk around in my face. Cloud oh, that's nine. that song? You can be what you oh, want to be. Yeah, 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 Cloud. yeah. Okay. Yeah, they switch it up completely. Oh, shit, man. Right. It didn't even catch you. It's like that. No. No, but they took it as a it, like an introspective song. It kind of changed it up. And that's, I love that, man. And then this version is so, like, you know, I just love both of them. They're, they're great. And yeah. the lyric is, I love that lyric. I think it's really great and uh, innovative. And I don't know. I just, I dig it. Yeah. Yeah, so there's mine. That's that's <laughs> a, no, that's an awesome song and like one that uh, more people should check out if they haven't. It's uh, yeah, definitely. I think it gets lost in the Motown shuffle a little bit. There's a lot going on in that label. 
Yeah, and I'm just saying, like, the Psych Soul stuff that the Temptations would pretty much just completely switch their style to around this time period is also definitely worth checking out. Obviously, the stuff before that, Temptations-wise, yeah, it's amazing, but... Um, but don't, don't sleep on their, don't sleep on their psychic, uh, or psychedelic, uh, soul yeah. later stuff too. Cause that's some dope, dope music too, man. I think Jeff, uh, maybe it was, uh, what you were listening to like, like uh, months ago in episodes and you really got me on a kick and I started listening to a bunch of it that I yeah. had, that I didn't even know I had on my shelf. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is amazing. This is mind blowing. I love yeah, this well, stuff. I, my, my third awesome, pick. Awesome choices. Uh, I was going to, I was going to try to, you know, I'm looking down my short list of 15 and I want to like avoid repeating artists, but there are just some artists that are just bigger. And so like uh, my favorite temptation song, ball confused what the world is today. It's from 1970, another strong and what field uh, song and a song that just like a lot of the earlier temptation stuff that I really like, like get ready. It's a song that has different lines by all the different singers. And it's, yeah, it's, it's psychedelic soul. It's wah wah guitar. It's lyrics about uh, political unrest and societal injustices. And it's lyrical content that was written 51 years ago. And it still is the same deal today. And, uh, yeah, it just really hits home and hits hard, and it's just a great song. So, Ball of Confusion, another one. Temptation, same era. Great stuff. Yeah, and that too, man. Like that baseline, do 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 do. Like it's such a, it's so great. It's that. Oh, it's got that drone quality to it. It's got this hypnotic quality to it. There's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of like, oh, it's so loud in the mix. I love like that kind of stuff coming in. Yeah, it's crazy loud in the mix, and it's so so good. Like, I mean, okay, the undisputed truth version is also dope because it gives you the extended jam and all that. But I, uh, yeah, man, it's just all around. It's an amazing song. I love the Temptations version. I think we had there. There was we did a Spotify uh, special. yeah. get in the garage you and i didn't we and we yeah, put, I feel like I talk we put about that song on the i, I can't remember like which episode it was way too much and yet not enough <laughs> because well because the thing about it is is you listen to it man and you're just like how is this song that came out then still so relevant right now like you'd think we would have at least progressed <laughs> a, a little bit more yeah. like god damn man like you know, but segregation, you know, determination, demonstration, integration, aggravation, humiliation, obligation to our nation. It's a ball of confusion. Yeah. Yeah. And the band played the band on. Played on. <laughs> yeah, man. Great pick. That's a great, great pick. Mm, absolutely. Um, so let's take a quick break. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do uh, another round each. And uh, we'll wrap it up with uh, final thoughts on Motown. <laughs> Motor City. We'll be right back. (laughs) Have you ever felt emotions? Then do we have the podcast for you. Feel Feelings is a weekly podcast where comedians Danny Getz and George Bruderman sit down with some of the funniest, emotionally distraught people, i.e. comedians, they know, and talk feelings. Every Friday, hear very funny people reminisce on Ren and Stimpy, worry about the Wizard of Oz, and emote over their emo phase. Check out Feel Feelings with Danny and George 
a show about feelings and the things that make you feel them. Welcome back. Get in the garage. Part Motown. Part two. Oh, you you know what, guys? We did we also talk about part three. Yeah, but the the but the last thing was to splice that the listener wouldn't be hearing because oh we we blew it because of the because of the magic of technology. You blew it. Uh, That's okay, guys. uh, Did we talk about yet the uh, Motown move? To from Detroit to LA, like was that? Did we no, say? We, uh, no, my, we, ne- my next song comes after the move. Yeah, like so, I feel like that was like a big change too, because it kind of left the tiny house production and made Motown like a major industry player when they moved out where all the record labels were uh, uh, positioned at the time in California. Um, and I, I, it makes me like you know, I feel like it was like end of an era kind of thing when they left uh, Detroit because I feel like you lose like that northern soul vibe a little bit and you lose like the barbershop quartetti like coming in and out. Um, you don't like lose it, lose it. It's still like a Motown sound, but I feel like that kind of was like a less thought of thing because they just weren't there. So it's different influence. Um, and I, at, that was like the end of the um, the 70s I, or the end of the 60s, like I think early 70s they moved. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just a different era for, for me. And uh, not that it's a bad one, but it's just something I think that should be like noted that the sound kind of changed once they, they moved out to, to California. Yeah, it went all big budget, huge commercial productions after 1972. Because then you have hits by the Commodores and Lionel Richie solo album. And yeah, it just, it just changes. It doesn't sound like the small room anymore. It sounds like, no. not in a bad way, I guess, but it sounds like every other album you know every other record label yeah like it's 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 not that one room sound that was like kind of like a a secret sauce magic thing like Stax had in the movie theater um but yeah it's just an interesting note to kind of maybe listen to at home if you have a you know some interest in like what that sound change was like what's your uh, song Mm, i think we're oh is it my it's your turn yeah oh oh okay all right well the song I'm going to pick is uh, Heat Wave by Martha Reeve and the Vandellas, um, a song that I first heard, again, by The Who. Uh, it was on their second album, uh, A Quick One While He's Away. Um, so at, coming from like a, the rock world, I would like hear these songs and then find out they were Motown songs and then become like, obsessed with Martha and the Vandellas. Um, I love how powerful the vocal is on this. Um, I I love like the the is uh devil got a hold on me lyric because that's how she's singing it. Um, it's like the heat wave. It's so out there and loud, and she's screaming in the chorus like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In her uh the backup, the Vandellas are going uh, uh, go ahead, girl, like go ahead, it's all right. Like you could feel this way. Like, um, I really like love that. Um, and I love that it's a girl like being like this dude is you know putting me in like a spell and getting you know like all worked up about it and like it's a frenzy of a song um the sax in it that's throughout like in the boom 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 like the horn line on that is like just so uh it's it's like building with the rest of it i just and the drums are like click clacky in the background um it's just for me it's one of the hardest hitting motown songs um, cause the who covered it in such an excellent fashion. 
I think like this song just shows like to the uh, like out out there rock and roll like it's still very tamed, but at but at that moment it's very also extreme and outrageous and screamy and full of feeling. Yeah, this song. What's what's crazy about this song is this was this song is what landed Motown their first Grammy Award nomination for Best Rhythm and Blues Recording for 1964. And if you think about it. So their their first nomination. So they start in '59. Their first Grammy nomination is in '64, and they don't they don't actually win a Grammy. Motown doesn't actually win a Grammy until 1968. Yo, fuck the Grammys. But that's right? but that's what I'm trying to say, man. Like fuck that shit. Like it's they're literally called Hitsville, and it took them from '59 <laughs> to '64 to get a fucking nomination for a Grammy, and then another four years to finally win one. Like this dude Barry Gordy, like got the idea from like i'm pretty sure like a uh, uh, a manufacturing like an automotive manufacturing thing and he's like i'm basically gonna create uh like a singles and hits factory the same way there's like an assembly line of cars i'm gonna do an assembly line of music and these these people busted their ass and i just it just makes me sad man to just see that in 64 that was when they got their first just nomination. They didn't even they didn't even win. Well, and yeah, then I mean, to finally win in sixty eight. But I mean that's yeah, we're I mean time and place, right? I mean that's Yeah, just... in the sixties you have Burt Backrack and Frank Sinatra and you know uh Getz Alberto, like you have it's white people music that's winning Grammys. It's not black music. Yeah. Uh yeah, and at the time too for like this song is is just like so pushing for like that era too because it really is like i i feel like it's really hard hitting for 63 um and it's i feel like it just moved i don't know i feel like it's just got so much energy on it and what i love about how energetic it is 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 the girls that are singing it um and bringing that energy and power of like um you know and to go with like the the grammys like this this song, I feel, I don't know. I feel like this is, like, so, uh, like, I don't think the Grammys are really worth anything like that. Because I feel like, what do you, how can you measure, like, the happiness? You know what I'm saying? Like, this song is really, like, just really, it's, I think it's too good for it. It's, like, it wouldn't be, I don't know, wouldn't be something I would think of. I think this song is, like, a classic, um, it, oh, I don't know. It's just, like, that love song. It's so, I don't know. I'm running out of words to ex- explain it, but I feel like it's just not like they wouldn't take something like, a, you know, a girl singing about, you know, a guy as like, you know, in this kind of fashion is like teenage love kind of thing to be taken seriously. But I feel like it's really it's a great song. It's and it can be of like any age. I think the song is really that trend. One of the biggest summer songs of all time too. Really, oh, yeah. at least the first or second week of July. And it was number one on the charts for the whole month of July. So like it kind of, it was, I think it's actually by definition, it's like considered the first summer hit, you know, like how that's a pop music thing now where everyone's like, Oh, what's going to be the song of the summer. What's going to be played out at the clubs and the beach parties and stuff. Like this was the first of those type of songs. Yeah. I, you know what, now that you say that, like obviously the song is called heat wave and it's got like all those like hot burning references mm-hmm. in it. Um, but I always kind of took it as like, like why I think I really gravitated towards it was like, obviously, like I said about the devil lyric. So it's like kind of like devil rock and rolly, 
like mythology, but it's kind of like a twist on it with a girl group. So that's why I this song was like attractive to me. It's got like the the like badassness of like the Rolling Stones, but it's like a girl group, and that's why I think I really like dug this song. I never kind of realized it would could have been like a summer song, but you know what I mean. Yeah. That kind of skipped over my head. I just went like, oh, cool, rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, man. Well, right on. That. Um, so I'm going to jump forward a little bit. Um, I'm going to go to 1969, a song written by husband and wife at the time, Marvin Gaye and his wife, Anna Gordy Gaye, Anna Gordy being the older sister of Barry Gordy, with the song that I think has one of the most sweet and melancholic saxophone parts that I've ever heard for Baby I'm For Real by the originals because it has that, or is that clarinet but it's the you, don't, you guys don't know what I'm talking about right now? You're going deep no. cuts man, I've never yeah, heard you got, that song you got before weird cuts. Oh bro, Baby I'm For Real you guys gotta listen to the song by the originals it's incredible, if you want, when you hear it you'll know what it is Um. so this, I guess Oh, man, so I got to carry this whole one myself. All right. You're the one who made these choices. (laughs) Do you know what the problem is? This is the problem with Motown. I'm a hits only. Hits only. I listen to the hits, though, and I think, oh, my God, all of these songs are, like, such obvious choices. What do you pick from? Because, like, oh, well, I think I listen to them, and I'm like, oh, Jeff will definitely pick that, or Luke will definitely pick that. But this has been good because you guys haven't real. you know what I mean? That hasn't kind of been the case. But, yeah, so Baby I'm For Real, released in 1969, written by Marvin Gaye and Anna Gordy Gaye. On Soul Records, which is another subsidiary of Motown, of which they had, like, I don't know, six or seven or some crazy number like that. Um, So the song was originally, the lyrics for the song were originally written by Marvin Gaye um, for uh, Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's, right? Um, And basically what happens is, like, Marvin Gaye decides he's going to, like, shelf this song, not really do anything with it. Um, and then next thing you know, he basically just decides, okay, I'm going to just release this song. Okay. So the Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's, the name of the song, uh, was called the bells I hear. You can find it on, you know, you can find it on like any streaming service or whatever. And you listen to it and you're like, oh, okay. Okay. So then what Marvin Gaye was, is like, he took this one song that he wrote for Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's and kind of like cut it into two so you have baby i'm for real and then you also have a song called the bells um it's got man you gotta listen to the song dude the sax part in this song is absolutely it's like so sweet and like heartbreaking and it gives you this vibe of like like uh, like a night out in the city or something you know it's that kind of a vibe um it's so great this was marvin Gaye really trying to prove himself as a songwriter uh not that he hadn't written songs before this point um but this was kind of like a push to kind of be like hey man like you know like tell barry gordy like listen i'm i'm a force to be reckoned with kind of thing um and bobby taylor would end up suing motown anyway like sometime down the line because he's just like marvin Gaye, like you dick why you wrote this you like wrote this song for us and then decided that we're not going to release it and stuff and then you end up basically ripping it off in a, in a sense and then releasing two separate songs that are basically up, like birthed from the same song, you know? So it's interesting. There's, there's kind of some controversy around the tune too, but it's a very great song. 
Um, I I think the point, like one of the things like that Motown did that was really cool and uh, I love too, like you're talking about, is like they wouldn't if a song kind of failed for one artist, they would try it again with another artist and maybe do it differently. Like um, we talked about Ain't No Mountain Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Um, Mike had another one earlier that was um, I forget which one now that we were talking about, but you said it was a cover of another cover. You said uh, the Undisputed Truth version. Oh yeah, um, yeah, Boss of Confusion. that song. Yep. yep, and then you have the Temptations version. So um, and uh, even like we were uh, we were talking about a song not on here, but um, this whole Heart of Mine by the Isley Brothers uh, was also done by the Supremes on their album Supremes a Go Go. Um, so that if it wasn't really a, a great hit for an artist and they tried it out, they would give it to another artist, even if it was already released and see if it was going to be a hit for them. Cause they like believed in the songs. And I liked like that song recycling thing. Cause it, it gives it like a, uh, like, I wonder what it would sound like if, and you're like, Oh my God, they did this one too. And they would use some of the same songs over again. And I really like that. Cause you know, sometimes it, it sucks on one artist and you're like, Oh, that they are like, and then you get to see how, and why the the one that was a hit was a hit. Right. It, it, it is very cool. I love that Motown does that. Yeah, and I'm not sure which um, which member it is of the originals, but when I was talking earlier about how, you know, how I was saying, like, the Four Tops, Bernadette kind of gives you, like, that Moody Blues kind of a vibe. Um, the originals, it's one of the members of the originals, but it's that's the the total, like, Michael McDonald rip off because he's like baby how far he like this this kind of thing i just like totally botched i'm sorry my voice is <laughs> my voice is shot today but but um jeff were you laughing at the the new original <laughs> yes of course. oh i'm so happy i'm so happy that you said that though because when i saw that i like, thought you said was... bobby taylor the vancouver's i'm like that's the whitest sounded group that i've ever heard <laughs> in my life yeah yeah, look at that's what I'm saying. Look at this song. This song is really oh weird, God. man. It's super, super weird, and it has these big, these big string orchestral swells and like tremolo, like the tremolo, like like I love new songs, and it, like, builds yeah. and stuff. Like it's a really, really dope song. It's definitely worth listening to. Listen to it and just wait for that that part where he goes, "Baby, how are you?" And you're just like, "That's fucking Michael McDonald all day, baby." But it's not, you know, it's obviously before, but like that's or well, sixty nine. But that's definitely way before. Way before. Yeah. Um, but you could that's you know, you can totally hear the influence of that. I mean, I think that's Michael McDonald's natural singing voice. But um, but it's that all day, man. It's that all day. And it's just it's a it's a killer song. It's an interesting listen. Um, so, yeah, we, yeah. we were called the originals, <laughs> but then we called us up the new the new originals. <laughs> uh, then, we were, then, we were, then we were called the creatures. <laughs> <laughs> Go, 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 all the way home. All the way home. All the way home. All right, my last pick (laughs) is the the latest of all the songs we've mentioned in this episode. It's from 1980. It's by the Queen Diana Ross from her 10th studio album. Uh, A very interesting history about this song, but the song is called I'm Coming Out. Ooh. And uh, I knew this song originally from the Notorious B.I.G. sample. What song is it that he does that? Um, it's it's the farewell song, right? No, it's um, oh crap. You keep keep going, keep talking, and I'll I'll remember. Because <laughs> he's like B.I.G. P.P.A. Mo money, no problems. That's what it is, of course. 
Mo oh, Money, okay. Mo Problems. Okay. Anyway, so this song from 1980, a strange song because Diana Ross, it's her 10th studio album, her 10th uh, solo studio album. And this is just like a case of when cocaine, when doing tons of cocaine goes wrong <laughs> because Diana Ross, like a fixture at Studio 54 for the later part of the 70s, she was in the club every night and she was doing all sorts of whatever. And she thought, you know what? I need, I need something to revolutionize my sound to get people on the dance floor again. So she enlisted Bernard Edwards and Nile Rodgers of Chic to produce her upcoming album. The guys who are behind La Freak and Good Times. So all disco music. She decided to do this the last month of 1979, basically like as disco was dying, she thought, you know what I should do? I should make a disco album right now. And she made this album with those guys from Chic. The drummer as well was featured on the song. His name, uh, Tony Thompson. Yeah, I got that one. This song is so good musically, but it has this weird thing where they recorded it and it was too disco-y. So she decided, oh, this is going to kill my career. I need to go and I need to remix this entire album. So without Edwards and Rogers knowing that she was doing that, she went in, she re-recorded all the lead vocals. She took out all the like reverb on top of the vocals, very disco-y reverb. She put in dry vocals on this album. And oh. she made it like the vocals were more featured in the mix. And she sped up the songs a little bit so it wasn't that disco march beat it was a little faster and edwards and rogers were so pissed that she did this they didn't know until after the album came out she sent them a copy and this song uh is just incredible it's it's a chicka chicka guitar by nile rogers that is just amazing and what i really like about this song is not just the delivery by Diana Ross, but I really, really like the intro with the stuttery drum. Thompson, uh, if you listen to it, it's really cool because the first like minute is all these skittery drum things that come in and out. If you really know the song, you like know what's coming. But even when you know what's coming, it's still a surprise. Uh, recently, I actually listened to the original mix of this album because Sheik was able to go back and put in their original tapes and get it to sound like how they imagined. So you can listen to two versions on the deluxe version of the Diana album by Diana Ross. So listen to both the original that everyone knows, the Diana Ross mix of I'm Coming Out, but also listening to the Chic remix of I'm Coming Out. Two very kind of not super different takes on the same song, but both worth checking out. Um, right on. I, I love that pick. Um, uh, this song, I didn't know about like the double thing about it. So that's like super interesting. And I'm definitely going to go look that up uh, probably right after. Um, but this song uh, kind of came into my life because they kept playing it on the only station. And I didn't have, that was the only thing I could listen to was the radio in my truck for a while. So like last winter, the oldie station had this in the rotation and it would play it like, on my drive to work almost every other morning. <laughs> so I heard it a lot. I got really excited though. Um, the song, like, and the lyric on it is so, like, empowering. 
and I really love it. Like I'm coming out, I want the world to show, mm-hmm. you know, now you want to let them know, like, it's just, it, this is me. And I love that. Like, I love the self-expression of the lyric and how like happy it is. And um, I just get like all positive vibes from the song and it makes me want to be like my truest self. Like I'm getting like real with it, but like this song is like when I was driving to work in the dead of winter, it was like a real punk, like, a real like nice comforting like fun thing to hear that was like you know made me feel good about myself Mm. i really love this song also notable about this song it features a trombone solo by mecco minardo which is incredibly rare for a pop song and he was called to work on the album and niall rogers was like how do you put a trombone solo on the end of this song and he's like uh i mean i get it man if this was like a jazz or a swing song that would make sense but like on a pop song like Nobody ever does that. And now Roger said, well, that's why we're going to have you do it. And it's a great <laughs> solo. It's a great I, trombone solo. Oh, yeah. This, yeah, the song, I, the, uh, the radio cuts, cuts that. Uh, yeah. Cuts it, well, yeah, I it's think. like five and a half minutes but, of the track. Yeah. It's, that's, I also like the length of it too. Cause it's like super long, like the lo- mm. even the single is pretty long itself. So it's like super danceable. Like you could dance, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's got, it's got that, um, very danceable vibe and the obviously the biggie hook like worked way later so it shows like the infectious infectiousness of the song and it's still like it comes on and even if it's like the biggie version i hear when you're like it kicks in or it's the diana ross whatever you're getting i like still very it's got that uh it carries the positive vibe with i think right you know what i mean like the the it the way the vocal is is kind of how the music sounds so like even right here like the biggie version yeah still got that like whole underlaying vibe of, of yeah vibe man it's super it. celebratory it's an anthem i mean there's a reason why it's been used by the lgbtq plus community because not just on the lyrics of i'm coming out as a reference of coming out of the closet but really just being free and being true to yourself uh it's 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 one of those great great songs yeah, no, I love that. And that's just like one I wouldn't ever think like to uh, pick. And that's why I love like everybody's different point of views because like Jeff would throw this in and it's a song I really, really like and something I didn't think of when I thought of Motown. So I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, man. Nice. The diva. The queen, man. <laughs> yeah. um, do you uh, do you guys want to do maybe like a speed round of just uh, real quick honorable mentions? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, we'll just we'll just throw uh, that in. We don't have to go deep on the you know on the song details and the history and all that stuff, but just songs definitely. Yeah, worth Luke, why don't you out. list a couple, Luke, then Mike, uh, and then I'll list a couple. Okay, um, the one I'm going to go with first is uh, I'm going to stick with the Diana Ross vibe and go. Uh, Where did our love go? The first Supremes hit. Um, uh, I just love like the. It's kind of like slower. It's like a march. Like dum 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 dum. Yeah, it's got like the baby, baby, ooh, I just love Diana Ross's voice on the song. It like tears. I love the out of tune baby babies in the background. Some of them dip low, and it's like, ooh, weird. That's what I love about some of these early Motown songs too. Is like, uh, there's like another offbeat one is um, Mary Wells, which who can easily do the clap break in that is horrible it's so off um but um where did I, in the sax solo where did i love go it's like a classic mm-hmm. like rock and roll uh sax solo um brian dozer holland um or yeah did i say that right but you know what i mean yeah um and i just 
great Supreme song early. Diana Ross's voice is like uh, why she is talented. The first single is the first, you know, it's great. First number one. Awesome. Cool. Uh, another one I'm going to go with is uh, another shout out to a girl group. I'm going to go Needle in a Haystack by the Velvelettes. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this one, but um, they were like a un- kind of like an unsung girl group at Motown that got kind of like filtered out after the Supremes came in. But this song is great. Um, it's got the like the doodling, doodling, doodling uh, girl backing on this song. Um, it's also got like a great vocal that like you can't find a good man anymore. Find a good man's like a needle in a haystack. Um, and she's also like talking to the background singers like, what did I say, girl? And they're answering needle in a haystack. Like it's just like so like empowering, like finding a good man's hard nowadays. I love it. It's a great song. The so first big female out. star in Motown, Mary Wells. Oh, I love oh Mary Wells, right. my guy. Love, and I'm not ashamed to say it. First heard that song in Sister yeah. Act. Hmm. My girl Whoopi. Yeah, I was gonna say yep. that. <laughs> that was gonna be yeah, that was she, gonna be one of my honorable mentions too. Was uh, was my guy written by Smokey Robinson? Yeah, I love yeah. my guy. Yeah, great song. Uh, Mary Wells, great, great. Uh, talent. I also that song is shouted out, which who can easily do? That's my favorite Mary Well song. So uh, check that out. Oh man, yeah. yeah. What do you guys got? Um, uh, I'll do two. Uh, well, two and a half. I mean, we mentioned it earlier, but yeah, the Isley Brothers. This old heart of mine, definitely a track worth checking out. Um, my number one honorable mention, whatever last minute thing. Uh, Smokey Robinson, Tears of a Clown. Uh, that's such a, <laughs> it feel it almost, it almost feels like super mm-hmm. British. It feels kind of like tight ish British. You don't think so, Luke? No, I think so. I just, I, 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 that's why I don't like the song. But oh, okay. I, I see. I, I see. I, I get it. Yeah. That's just my personal opinion. I mean, written by, um, Hank Cosby, who also played saxophone on, uh, John Lee Hooker's Boom Boom, tenor sax player, Smokey Robinson Ooh. and Stevie Wonder. And... Yeah, the intro is, I guess the whole inspiration was um, Stevie Wonder brought it to Smokey Robinson and was like, hey, man, can you do something? Like, can you do something with this song? And Smokey Robinson was like, oh, that intro is very much like an instrument that's also, it's referred to as a steam piano or or steam organ. Uh, How do you pronounce it? Calliope. Calipo? Calliope, thank you. Um, And it's also... um, I think that's like the only hit in. Oh, yeah, excuse my cat over here. It's the only, it's the only hit in existence that features the bassoon. Oh, interesting. Which is kind of an interesting, yeah. So like, it's the only hit song featuring bassoon as like a as a as a. Brian thing. Wilson, yeah, I think, so, would have something to say about that. I'm sure he used the bassoon on something. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'll have to look. I'll, yeah, but it's something uh, to that effect. Come back with uh, all the facts you can find. Our first episode in March is going to be all bassoon songs. Bassoons. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, that song. So cheers of a clown because it sounds like uh, the the like an you know a circusy kind of intro, whatever. Smokey Robinson is like, oh, cheers of a clown. You know, it's kind of like the sad clown song. Uh, but definitely worth. I I mean, I dig it. I'm into it. It's kind of quirky and kind of strange, but I like it. Um. We said before, Mary Wells with my guy, 1964. Awesome. And then the last one, I'm going to go with Diana Ross and the Supremes, 1968. Mm. Um, with the song Love Child. 
number one oh, song. Interesting. Yeah. To, yeah, interesting song, man. Interesting song. That was it. Was the first song written by the Clan. That's when HDH, I guess we could just call them that. Holland, the Hollanders are Holland. Uh, they leave, replaced by the Clan. Clan was then replaced by uh, the corporation. But the first song written by the Clan, um, and interesting on this album that this song is featured on. Uh, Mary Wilson and Cindy Birdsong are actually not singing on this on this album. It's done by the like the in-house Motown one of the one of like the Motown in-house female vocal like backing groups, the And the Nance. And the And Dantes. Um Andante. Come on, cello player. Cello <laughs> player. Come on. And, oh my god. Oh my gosh. All right, we're gonna have to edit this out. No, I'm just. <laughs> Listen, guys, it's been a long day. Okay, just take it easy. Andante's. Yeah, it's like I look at it now. And it's well, like, you yeah, mentioned Mary Wilson, so let's take a let's take a moment of silence right now. Mary Wilson, the longest tenured mm. member of the Supreme, she was in the group from 1959 till 1977. So she lasted like seven years after Diana Ross left the group. She died last week. So. Mary Wilson, rest in peace. Rest in peace. A rest great peace. part of musical history, black music history, American music history. Yeah. 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 Sang on like um, 20 number one songs. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, as that's, that's my last like honorable mention, I also want to say that this song knocked Hey Jude off of its top spot in Ooh. the United States when it came out. So, just saying. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so, so cool. those are I got some. Uh, the first I'll throw out there, it's like we didn't talk about because of one of you. I think Mike, you made the point about like obvious choices. Like I think if you say Motown, it's the first song people think of, but that song is, doom 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 doom, my girl, which is like you got three yeah. bass notes and you're already in the mood and the world of the song. So written by Smokey Robinson by the Temptations, my girl. Uh, a Smokey Robinson and the Miracles song. I like Tears of a Clown, but I like even more The Tracks of My Tears. One of my favorite songs to sing and cover. Uh, a song by the Four Tops, Reach Out, I'll Be There, which is Levi Stubbs doing his fucking thing on that song. It has this great flute intro. It has the great like Spanish percussion types thing going on. So that's a great song. And Let's hit some later, later Motown hits with these honorable mentions from the early '80s by the what do they call him, the King of Funk, King of King of Punk Funk, I think is what he calls himself, Rick James, Super Freak, which which is a great brain. song. Super Freak is great because it is a Motown history song because it features the Temptations on backing vocals and call and response vocals. <laughs> so you got like the 50-year-old members of the Temptations singing behind Rick James on this dirty, grimy, funky song. So great song. I think that's from like 82 maybe. Uh, and then another one from the early 90s. I think 91, 92. But Boys to Men, Motown Philly. Enough yeah. said. I mean, Mot- you know, yeah, like one of the biggest groups in that, you know, hip hop, R&B kind of crossover at the time. And just, yeah, Motown in the 90s. Yeah. Another, another, yeah, another yeah. legacy of Motown, like how relevant, like three, you know, four, at yeah. that point, four decades, right? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Cool, man. Yeah. Nice. I How feel you guys, great. You yeah, feel I, have, good? I have one larger thing to recommend to anybody out there listening. Mike mentioned 
the Hitsville USA oh. compilation. It's I think it's called Hitsville USA 1959 to 1972. But the other great one to check out, it's on Spotify. It's called Motown, the complete number ones. The cover is the Hitsville USA building. It's, I think, 205 songs. It's every song that charted at number one on any chart made by Motown in its history. So definitely check that out. You know, check out the deep cuts we mentioned on this podcast. But also, if you just want to, like, dive into all the biggest hits of Motown, that will give you, I think it's like five, four or five hours of content. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, man. Great. Great recommendations. And no yeah. Stevie today. A huge figure in Motown. But we're getting into Stevie next week. Yeah. Oh, I can't. I cannot wait to listen to Stevie Wonder all this week and uh, geek out. I, dude, I, can't I already got a jump start, man. Stevie Stevie made me cry like three days ago. And, I was uh, listening to music of my mind, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" It was just hitting me so hard, man. It was hitting me. So and for hard. for Pete, like we didn't mention Stevie at all. We probably should have mentioned a couple things that won't be things we'll talk about on next week's episode. Because we're going to be talking about the peak Stevie years next week, which are the five albums that he made from 1971 until 1976. But some earlier Stevie Wonder songs, some singles that are great, My Sheree Amour, uh, Sign Sealed Delivered. You know, we didn't mention any of those songs, but the early Stevie stuff is great. But next week, we're going to be talking about that high watermark of Stevie Wonder's career, which are the albums Music of My Mind, Talking Book, Fulfilling This's first finale, well, Inner Visions, then Fulfilling This first finale, and Songs of the Key of Life. Yes. Be- best album yeah. of all time. And no, uh, no songs about plants. No. Right? No. No. It ends in songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It's over. Um, Close up shop. It's over. Sorry, Stevie. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's something to look forward to, I think, for next week's episode. Um Keep looking out for new episodes of Jess Podcast. What do you love about music? The you your recent one was actually your mother, which I listened to and was very excited to listen to, and I thought it was a great yeah, episode. Man. Thanks. Yeah, it. and this week's episode is pretty cool because it's my first international guest, a friend of mine who's a recording artist in Madrid, Spain, Joey Ruckus. He went to college with me, and we recorded our episode yesterday, and we're putting it out this Wednesday. So check that out. Yeah, check it out, man. And so check out um, Mike's podcast, What Works For You, which yes. is like a self-help. They go into all type of stuff about lifestyle and meditation and good practices for mindfulness and, uh, you know, refueling your soul and all those kind of things. Yeah, and my last guest was George Bruderman, who, uh, if you're a listener of Get In The Garage, is a friend to the podcast and also the uh, host of the Feel Feelings podcast. And he's been on Get, on, on Get In The Garage as well, so... That was the latest one we had a you know we had a really nice conversation it was uh it was a little scattered, but we had a really really good time man I love it george he's uh he's he's definitely like a kindred spirit kind of person, so it was uh nice to talk to him about that stuff oh, but either way oh one if, one more uh, thing to say we didn't really talk yes. about the funk brothers, which is the house band of Motown. If you have two hours oh, yeah. and you can find it anywhere streaming or a library or buy on amazon for three ninety nine Check out the documentary Standing in the Shadows of Motown, which came out like 18 years ago. And it's all about the Funk Brothers and the Motown recording process and like the in-house band. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely something worth checking out. Because it'll give you the idea of, you know, 
how what the Motown sound is, really. You know, that's that's that. But anyway, once again, I've been Mike. Jeff's been Jeff. Luke has been Luke. Rest in peace, Mary Wilson. And happy birthday. Um, and happy birthday to... Ryan Holland, I think it's his birthday. Brian Holland. Yeah, happy 80 years Holland. old today. Nice. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Until then... Get the garage. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information and links to other shows, please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com/podcasts.